Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's... Yeah... <laughs> They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually a I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you surely, man? <laughs> You're very welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. I do sometimes feel sorry for these millionaire footballers, Premier League footballers, Ken Murph. Oh yeah? Hello, go yeah, on. Yeah, well if Chris Modding were playing 30 years ago, right? And he'd put in a performance of such hilarious ineptitude in such a big game as he did yesterday. Mm. At least he would have had a use for the story in later years. He'd retire in his early 30s, maybe try coaching, maybe run a bar. But he would most definitely have a spin on the after-dinner circuit. Yeah. Where the day I scored a hat-trick of defensive howlers would just play brilliantly, yeah. I, I believe. Especially, say, a Chelsea supporters function, you know? A touch of self-deprecating humour here, a dollop of exaggeration there. He's a bloody good lad, that I small mean, lad, isn't he? I've practically described them as own goals here, which wasn't my intention. So you could, you could exaggerate it to that point, that he knocked the ball in himself. Maybe a Josie Mourinho anecdote. Throw that in there too. The Chelsea fans would be rolling in the aisle. Instead, Chris Modding will retire a very wealthy man. He will have no need to share his pain for the titillation of complete strangers. And so this embarrassment exists alone, in a vacuum. It was just an awful day for him, and it might never become funny for Chris Mollick. Um, I, don't know. I don't know if it ever will. I mean, the, the old twisted blood factor. It's one thing when it's Eden Hazard. Twisting you know, your blood. in the blood spinner, but when it's <laughs> N'Golo Kante. You know, N'Golo Kante. I haven't seen someone trundle through a defence as stylishly as that since David Beckham scored against Real Madrid in the... Remember that two th- <laughs> yeah. game in 2000? Yeah, it was... It was Similarly unexpected. Uh, although, in a weird way, you could see it coming with Kante. It was because the crowd was exhorting him to, go on, Ngola, let's see what you can do here. They were, you could tell they wanted him to try something, not just pass like he always usually would. So he suddenly, with this extravagant dummy, just sends Smalling crashing to the no, ground no. again. Oh, no. 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 Stop doing that, Smalling. Oh, God. Stop turning your back and not going for the ball and uh, so the, on. My favourite bit of the goal almost was David De Gea's face. Did you see how angry he was? David De Gea's face after he, he kind of turned. You could see his eyes glance up, follow the ball. He, you know, he didn't watch it all the way into net. He saw it was going in. And then just absolutely raging. I mean, just his, his own personal sort of fury. I don't know um, if he got into the dressing room and started beating people up. I mean, after the <clears throat> first goal, he, he wasn't very complimentary of the defending. I mean, he was pointing to his eyes and then looking at the defenders. Not sure he needed to rush out that time either, but... No, I don't think he did. Although maybe he did. 
maybe he thought, oh, I have no choice now. Yeah, but these, these guys have messed it up. Amazing. Smalling and Blind have no idea that Pedro is there. And what is Smalling? And what is Blind doing? What are they? <sighs> so the return, Owen. The return. Was not good. Dundalk completed their three in a row of league successes last night. They have a couple of games to spare. So I would imagine nobody's going to be happier than their fitness coach, Graham Byrne, who'll join us in studio today. He's had enough to contend with with their insane fixture list in the last little while. So now at least they can kind of rest up in these next couple of league games, which is just as well. Because next week, in the space of three days, they travel over to Russia to play Zenit St. Petersburg. Then they come back to play in the FAI Cup final, which doesn't sound like... a whole heap of fun. Well, it is fun. I mean, you're playing football at a high level. Sure, it's fun, but it's also quite tiring. All over the place, all the time. <laughs> all over the place. Never stop playing football. So we're looking forward to getting to into that side of things with Graham in a little while. We'll also try to work out what was going on with Cristiano Ronaldo over the weekend. He had a rather a strange reaction to a teammate's match winner at the Bernabeu, Alvaro Morata. But Ken, you want to get, I think, straight back to the return. Yeah. The return, I mean... Jose Mourinho wasn't presumably in the meeting in Sky when they said, OK, what are we going to call the follow-up to Red Monday? The return. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. But, you know, he did do interviews where he struck a peculiarly self-aggrandizing tone, you know, talking about how devoted he is to Manchester United. You're like, well, you're the manager. Like, you're, the, you're the, one of the highest paid professionals in the game. You're working for these guys. Why are you even telling us that you're that they're your number one priority? I was not a born Porto supporter, but I still gave my life to Porto. I also gave my life to Madrid. I gave my life to Inter. And I gave my life to Chelsea. Now I give my life to United. That is my professional nature. I am 100% United now. Well, thanks for that. But, like, what? why are we even... You seem to have grasped quite, quite, uh, quite nicely the whole job, the whole idea of having a job. Well, that's his professional heart, he said. I have a professional heart. And basically, he seems to be saying, where I work for the company that pays me. That seemed to be his, the, mm. what it boiled down to. Anyway, the Man United are paying him at the moment. But, um, you know, you, the game wasn't all about him, Owen. Yeah. But you could have been forgiven for thinking this game was just all about Jose Mourinho. Um, from everything about it. So, 4-0, which is his worst defeat in English football. Mm. That's, you know, this, there's going to be consequences for this. Jose Mourinho does not have a defeat that bad without there being consequences. What sort of consequences? Well, I mean, uh, what we can do with with Mourinho is look at what has happened previously when these sorts of things have happened. Uh, And the only defeat that he's had that's worse than this one was the one in um, 2010 to Guardiola's Barcelona team, the 5-0 defeat. Uh, On that occasion, he, 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 let's just say, he wasn't too pleased with the performances of some of the players, and some of the players found themselves being questioned in public and in private. Uh, Karim Benzema, notably, um, they, you know, Mourinho at that point was was angry. He thought they needed to add another striker. Started talking about Benzema as a cat. Well, you know, you can go hunting with dogs, or you can go hunting with cats. You'll catch a lot more with dogs. Benzema. In, gave one particularly wretched performance not long afterwards where Mourinho uh, was jumping up and down on the sidelines screaming, he's not even a cat, he's a rabbit. Uh, uh, so let's say pressure. You put pressure on, on players. You want, to see, you want to see a response. There was a response from Real Madrid. They started winning a lot of games. Real Madrid always win a lot of games. Uh, that's maybe the difference between their situation and... Manchester United's one. The, the league is a bit easier for Real Madrid. I know this is a this is a 
there's, there's really only one other big team, or there was at that time only one other big team in the Spanish league. Whereas Manchester United are trailing a, a lot of teams who look stronger than them at the moment. So it's not easy to see how they're going to get back. Mourinho, after the game, is saying, um, he was saying, uh, look, uh, the project, but people are saying, look, you're in trouble. You're, you're sinking already. It hasn't been long and you're already taking on water. This isn't good. It's the project is we're six points from the top of the league. We are not 16 points. We are six. We are maybe three, maximum four from the top four. Five at the moment, but, you know, we're not 30 or 40. So we're there. We're there with very difficult fixtures in the week when we played away to two candidates. I'm not saying the matches coming up are easy, far from it, but we have to beat opponents from mid-table that we're going to have now. Burnley, Swansea, Sunderland, and Millsbury. They're difficult, but we need points from these matches. The top teams play against each other, so they have to lose points. In the end, we will be around. So he's kind of trying to say, okay, calm, let's, let's everyone calm down here. Let's nobody jump to any hasty conclusions here. We are not far off. Win our games. Everyone else will drop points. We'll be right back in the mix. Nothing to worry about. And that's true. That is true. The question that I would have is whether Mourinho can handle this situation. It's not really the player. I mean, you know, if, if United were to be calm now and say, look, that was very disappointing. Still, it's only one game. Previous result wasn't bad. No, no way. Not bad. Win some games. We've got some good players here. You know, we'll be we'll be back up there, and then you you know you could sort of be back as a resurgent force. You know what I mean? Oh, the other teams are kind of wobbling now. Manchester United have got over their early season problems; they're roaring back. You know, you can see that. You can see how that would happen. The question I would have at this time is: How is Mourinho going to handle this? Being back in the trailing pack, how, because that's not a situation he's ever handled before. Always, whenever he's been managing, he's always been top top one, top two, top three. He's the only time. Really, when he was back this far. Last season. Yes, last season. And last season, it was as though very early in the season, he, he almost kind of threw up his hands and said, well, you know, I've been, I've been betrayed by these players. These players aren't, aren't going to give me, you know, what I need. I mean, you could see how delighted Hazard was to score. Yes, I mean, he's always delighted to score. He scored as many goals already this season as he did all of last season, mm-hmm. Eden Hazard. And... Looked like he enjoyed that goal, and and I suppose he showed why he is, why he won Player of the Year. Well, also he showed how much he probably wanted to prove something to Mourinho. This is certainly the common theme during yesterday's analysis on on TV and in general. And he would probably embody that more than anyone. Somebody who she played brilliantly under Mourinho, mm. uh, at least for one season, maybe more than that, and then awfully under another one, and seemed to be one of the guys who was, you know, Mourinho kind of, this not, I don't even know if falling out with is the right term, but they, they didn't mm. seem to be getting the best out of each other in the last season. No. And you, uh, a fired-up Eden Hazard is generally quite a productive Eden Hazard. Yes. <laughs> well, the uh, the only thing I would say about that is that Mourinho, this is Mourinho's first season. So, I mean, maybe there is a bit more wiggle room for a terrible start like this than there was. Like The only thing that had changed with Chelsea from winning the league to being absolutely awful was some sort of, you know, dressing room bombshell that like detonated in, in his face. Hmm. I mean, that's, you know, so it was like he, he, he had to go looking for an excuse there. I mean, now he can say, well, I have a squad of players who have been signed by three different managers, all with, uh, it seemed pretty different views on how to play the game. Uh, it takes time. 
I think there always has to be an excuse. If there, if there isn't success, there has to be an excuse. I, I, well, I did think that I'd wake up this morning to read that excuse. If he hasn't come up with, you know, the two players that he felt were... Well, know, he hasn't the referee, had, he hasn't... The, the David Luiz, hmm. the thing about, well, you know, I'm not going to say he should have been sent off. If you think that playing against 10 men for an hour would have made a difference to the game, you have to write that. That's what he said. So, you know, the Louise thing is one is one thing. But he was talking about mistakes, you know, individual mistakes. You never give me credit when my teams are per- perfect. They don't make any mistakes. You never give credit. You act as though it's not important. Well, it is important. And you see how important it is. And he, and he said, we, make un- we made unbelievable individual mistakes. An incredible defensive mistake. I say incredible in capitals in the first minute. And then the game is different. Mm. This is the... You know, Smalling, Blins, mm. De Gea, all of them partly to blame. Yeah. Um, then the game is different. The game is different. The game wasn't different. The game was the same as though, as though there was no goal. They, they, they played the same way. Manchester United were playing the same 6-3-1. That's all they did. That's all there was. There, wasn't, you know, there was no re- reorganization from Jose Mourinho. There was no apparent... Acceptance. Okay, the situation well, he, yeah, is now he, different. He claims there was. Afterwards, he was saying that he, even though he knew Chelsea are dangerous in the counter attack, that is where they're dangerous. Counter attack, counter attack, counter attack. He rammed that home on a number of occasions as though there's something wrong with being dangerous in the counter attack. Yeah. So, despite the fact that we knew this, I told them in the second half to essentially be more attacking. Why'd you wait till the second half? Mm-hmm. They were two 0 down within twenty minutes. It was it was clear they 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 still had enough time to get seventy minutes is plenty of time to score two goals. But you're going to need to change the pattern of this game. But he left it go until halftime, didn't have anything. You know what I mean? You don't even need necessarily to make substitutions. Just we need to see a different approach. And there were no ideas. There were no ideas. There, there never are. <laughs> there never are. The idea is get a clean sheet. Zlatan will make one and we'll win the game. That's the idea. If that doesn't work, if you let him go after 30 seconds, well, what can I do now? We make a mistake in capitals, an unbe- unbelievable mistake in capitals. And then there was this whole thing with Conte afterwards of, oh, yeah. oh, you can't do this. You know, don't do this. Um, I kind of thought the only people getting humiliated there were the Chelsea supporters. Yeah, another yeah. Chelsea manager. Yeah, falling out with them already. Already saying, oh, this crowd isn't up to much. Uh, I mean, Mourinho was doing that a lot uh, when, he was, when he was the Chelsea manager. But, I mean, Conte, it, it's the kind of thing that, I mean, Mourinho criticised Klopp for just last week you know I'm not here to do all this and waving waving my hands around well Klopp uh, Conte rather was doing that because the Manchester United fans are singing the Manchester United fans are doing the Ireland fans in Gdansk 4-0 down our spirit is unbreakable uh, we'll sing and sing and they were doing that and then Conte got up and was like come on let's have a bit of noise here for the team that's actually winning uh, I mean that is not in my opinion uh, a gesture of humiliating Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. I don't think that there's anything, in fact, insulting about that. I think that, as, as you say, it's his, He's it's so his own vain, supporters. Ken. He probably thinks all those songs are about him. Well, look, this is, this is, how, this is how Mourinho thinks about it. I think when he reacts in that way, with that, with that anger to say, don't do that, you know, 1-0, it's okay, 4-0, it's humiliation. That shows you how he thinks about those types of things in the last few minutes of a match. So when he goes and shakes hands with everybody in the opposing bench before the match is even over, he's rubbing their noses in it. That's what it's all about. It's not about being polite. It's about, here I am, your conqueror. Uh, we all know this match is over, even though they're still playing out there. Let's shake your hand. Hmm. You know, that's, and he's done that on a number of occasions. Um, 
so obviously for him to say it's a bit rich coming from Jose Mourinho that pretty much anything is just there's no point in even saying that it's like oh you know 775 untrue statements by Donald Trump on the campaign trail you know what I mean like another sort of it is all getting pinned on Mourinho though and well it was all about him it was the return it was Jose Mourinho versus his old club Jose Mourinho's new team versus Jose Mourinho's old team. Now, you're sitting there, you're like, well, Conte, Hazard, Smalling, weren't all these guys in the game? I say no. It was about Jose Mourinho. Yeah, well, which and case? that's how we're analysing it. Right. That put me to rights, huh? Jose Mourinho's signings. That Dan Ibrahimovic hasn't had a goal drought this bad in the league football since uh, 2006. What the hell is Latanding? Like, like Zlatan is undroppable. He can't. He doesn't. He, well, in fairness, I don't think he's undroppable anymore. Owen. <laughs> you would, you wouldn't want to get a teammate within sixty yards of him. Though, no, I know, I know. It's, he was hardly the worst defender yesterday, but it doesn't, he's not exactly um, only bristling with that old Zlatan swagger at the moment, is he? No, he. If you can indeed bristle with a swagger, he was being criticised by none other than Ryan Giggs for. Uh, his civilized behaviour towards his opponents after the game, smiling, swapping shirts, and uh, laughing. And Gig said, you, don't, you can get beat in a football match, but when you're getting beat and you're swapping shirts, which is something I don't like, if you get beat, you congratulate the opposition, you thank the supporters, and you get off the pitch. That that's, was yeah, that's you don't, definitely the biggest issue facing Manchester United at the moment. Well, your old buddy Murph, Danny Baker, had the same issue. He was going off on one last uh, night. really? Uh, yeah, a few listeners have called for the bail, but we can't locate it, so we're mm. not going to bother with the Baker no. tweets today. Okay, I'm uh, sure he'll still he'll mouth off again soon. I, 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 think, I, I think I have a fair idea what Paul Pogba's best role is though yeah it's as uh, it's as the 12th man oh you drop no, Pogba no not drop not drop him as such Ken. play 11 on 11 and then also play Paul Pogba on your team I mean 12 on 11 yeah there's there, there, there's a slight issue with Pogba in that you you can't ask him to do anything any of the jobs no you can't, you can't do that no no responsibility as such it's, it's so inhibiting possibly yeah I mean I mean he's a great <laughs> he can do everything Ken that's the great thing about Paul Pogba yeah as long as he's the only player on the field, or if you're overmatched in some way. I feel that playing him as a 12th man gives him the freedom he needs to really go and affect the game. Yeah. You know? What about yeah. the rules of the game? They don't hear that with that Well, that's, again, that's probably Mourinho's area. You know? I mean, Pogba's. Find a role for the lad, you know? It's getting criticised. I mean, I saw Phil Neville said, you know, his defending on the fork goes a disgrace. Uh, Gary Neville was a bit more. Um, Let's say, what's the word? Circumspect? Yes. Uh, Pogba is no doubt confused. <laughs> Jose Mourinho is trying to find a way to incorporate him. Uh, you somehow have to make it fit when you sign a player for that, for that level of money. Um, so he's, he, Gary Neville's quite understanding. Uh, there'll be a massive overreaction to the game. He predicted Jose Mourinho will come under huge pressure. It will be ramped up ahead of the derby on Wednesday. I am quite relaxed. When you're a Manchester United fan for 30 years, for 50 years... You're going to have difficult times like these. You have to accept when they come along and be mature about it. They've got a fantastic manager that's been proven in every league in Europe. They have to allow him to do his job methodically over the next two or three years, get it right. There has been some poor management, some poor recruitment decisions. There have been players signed who are not much the other players. I'm not talking about talent, I'm talking about profile. He's not talking about the, the new players. He's talking about the ones who were signed under Van Hal and David Moyes. Pogba and Ibrahimovic are more Manchester United players in my mind in terms of personality and the physical aspect. Now, I mean, it, it's true that they have a manager who has been proven in, in various leagues around Europe and has a great history of success, but the recent history isn't as successful as the older history. There, there are echoes of last season that we've already discussed 
last season the the record was three two four wins drawn lost so they they eleven points uh, this season's four two three so not too different win a game that you lost last year and that's really the only change I mean there there are echoes of previous seasons remember we were talking about Luke Shaw mm-hmm. Luke Shaw who had been blamed for the Watford goal. Um, he didn't wasn't close enough to his man. Watford got in around the back goal. Zuniga, Manchester United lose a match that maybe they was looking at that point like they might have gone on to win. Um, and Luke Shaw was called out for it. I remember we were talking about this in Pedro Leon. Pedro Leon, the Real Madrid player who was who Mourinho chose to administer a thrashing to a public a public beating to improve morale, <laughs> causing the same sort of reaction from the Real Madrid players as the Manchester United players were reported to have had to this Luke Shaw thing. Where people say, oh, poor, you know, was that really necessary? Luke Shaw's only 21. You know, he's just back from a big injury. Do we really need to, you know, there was, a, there was a debate about that, whether it was right for Mourinho to criticise him directly. Jimmy Carragher, for instance, was saying, no, come on, managers have to be able to say these things. But remember we were saying one of the things with uh, Pedro Leon was that he did a press conference soon afterwards and we were uh, to, to say everything was great with, with him and Mourinho. And we were wondering if Luke Shaw... Well, Luke Shaw has done his Pedro mm-hmm. Leon press conference. Uh, I'm a grown man now. I can take what the manager said, he said in his press conference appearance before the Europa League match. I think I'm still young and I need to take on board what he says and to improve... You've got to listen to what your coaches say and have a good attitude about it. Obviously, I was disappointed with the result, but not with what the manager said. I took it on board because I'm looking to improve, and hopefully I do that in the next few matches. So, all I'm saying is, you see certain things happening, and you're like, I've seen this before. Um, One thing that I haven't seen happen before is Jose Mourinho, uh, way back in the pack, with a team that's losing matches and looks vulnerable turning it around and coming back resurgent and triumphant. I haven't seen that happen yet. So this could be a season where Mourinho shows us something new. Is Gary Neville a little bit... Has he lost a bit of his spark as a pundit since his little soldier and as a manager? And I don't buy into this idea that was espoused at the time that, oh, he's failed as a manager. You know, how can we ever take anything he says seriously again as a pundit? Don't agree with that at all. I think it's actually I, I, I applaud him for trying management, and I'm sure he'll go back into it. Mm. Maybe he has too much of an eye in going back into it. I don't know. It just seems like there's not as much spark to him this time around. Or maybe it's just that Jamie Carragher. I think has gotten a lot better in the time Neville has been away and has outstripped him. This guy. I'm, I'm more interested now what Carragher has to say about mm. most things than that's maybe been a bit unfair on Neville, uh, and maybe it's overdoing the impact he had at the start, but. I guess he was just so good early on that you're expecting him to keep getting better as a pundit. And uh, I, I wasn't that impressed with him yesterday. He, for, for a start, it took him about two hours to notice that it was Smalling who was largely at fault for that first goal. Uh-huh. He kept blaming Daley Blind. I know Blind was also at fault, but he didn't really seem to notice that Smalling had just watched the ball go by. He almost got out of the way of the he ball. He got out of the way of the ball. He just kind of, as soon as it was passed, he's pointing around and looking around for somebody else to, to do his job. S- small thing, but, you know, Neville's so sharp that you expect, him, you expect him to be picking up on... As a viewer, I expect Gary Neville to be picking up on way more stuff than I am uh, with, with uh, his eye for it. So, I don't know. That's just a, a marker there. I've laid down a marker. Hopefully Gary Neville can prove me wrong, Ken, and get back to Prove yourself, Gary guys. Neville. Prove yourself, yeah. So, Donald McDevitt. Um, yeah, I, I don't I mean, I, I guess the experience in management is is chastening. Like... 
Maybe like, it does knock you a little bit. Maybe it knocks your confidence. Yeah, no, knock your confidence a bit. And and at the, I mean, on there's a couple of ways it could have affect how you then, uh, you know, would work as a pundit. I mean, one would be maybe a greater sense of empathy with coaches. You know, maybe a greater sense of well, a, a grasp of how difficult their job is, and a sense something of, something viewers really don't want <laughs> yeah. to have yeah. where possible. Uh, well, and the other is is kind of it's not quite the same thing, but a complementary thing is is the sense of everybody watching this knows that when I tried to do this, it didn't go very well. So you think that actually is an issue? Well, it's the, an issue if Gary Neville thinks it. I mean, I, I don't think it should matter at all to Gary Neville what other people yeah, think. because he's not any less smart about football than he was a year ago. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a different thing, but but you could I, could... I could see how that could could be at the back of your mind. It's a sense of, well, to be honest, what am I going to say when someone turns around and says, <clears throat> you were a bit of a turkey yourself, though, when you tried it. I mean, you've been criticising ex-manager for however long. But when you tried it, you were a complete turkey. You were a disaster. And you didn't last more than a few weeks in the job. So, what do you say about that? You know? I mean, it's like... I think it's a a 100% human reaction for Gary Neville to think that. Hmm. So... Even though he shouldn't, you know? We should all send a message out to Gary Neville and say, Hey, come on. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it, man. Get back to your A game. Pep Guardiola? Um, well, this is this is maybe the doubly frustrating thing for, for Mourinho in that the week had been going so badly for Pep Guardiola. It was all set up for kind of a, tr- a triumph. Uh, and he's kind of managed to take all the... I mean, it was Pep who'd lost 4-0 to his old team just just this time yesterday. <laughs> but now it's, it's Jose. Um, Pep, who's gone now five matches without a win for, the first, for only the second time in his coaching career. The first was during his first season at Barcelona. And, uh, well, you know, what's what's going on with this team? Why why can't we? There was a, there was a couple of changes to the Man City team. Vincent Company came back in. Don't know if Vincent Company is going to be playing too many more games. John Stones, another mistake. Uh, was it entirely Stones' fault, or was it also Company's fault? I think maybe there's a pair of them in it. Stones, I guess, is the guy they've decided to. Um, Stones is the rock upon which. He will build his <laughs> yeah. team, um, so I'd say he's got a better chance of staying in the team. But you know, they're so they're le- in the dressing room with Pep for nearly an hour after the game, uh, going through some aspects of the game. It's an intense hour, I'd imagine. We were drinking uh, Coca Cola and red wine," said Pep, jokingly. Everybody could see he wasn't really in the mood for jokes. Um, uh, together we speak uh, nothing special. Um, Sometimes you're able to win 10 times in a row, and after, to not win five times, that's part of football. We have to accept that. I have to discover the reason why, and I'm going to fight for that. Um, there is something about this team, how you rebel and react in the situations. I have, I have to help them achieve what we had in the second half. Now, we should say that Southampton played well. I was watching this game. Southampton are a pretty decent side. It's amazing how they have been so consistent over several seasons, losing players every year, changing manager also this season, and still with this kind of consistent level. They're sharp, they're well-drilled, they're a tough team. You have to play well to beat them. And City weren't playing well, certainly not in the first half. Um, And they made a mistake and Southampton scored. City eventually came back. Aguero had quite a poor game. And it looks as though he's got a... I think he's feeling a little bit of the Guardiola scepticism now. He's the kind of player who hasn't really been... hasn't featured in Guardiola's teams of the past. You know, I mean, you could say, well, what about Lionel Messi? Totally different type of player. 
you know, Aguero is, is really a finisher, a, a, an absolute front player. He's David not, Villa type? <clears throat> no, he's not like David Villa either. I mean, David Villa... Oh, sorry, for, but from the point of view of Pep marginalising him. Yeah, well, remember Pep signed David Villa in the first place and things went well between them to begin with. I don't think that Pep ever necessarily marginalised David Villa. I mean, he, he played him on the left side, but I think David Villa was happy to do that because it meant, well, if this is the only way I get to play for Barcelona, then sure, I'll do that. And he scored lots of goals and everything went well. I think actually David Villa, um, his bad season in Barcelona was the season after Guardiola had left, the 2012-13 season. Um, but, you know, with Aguero, I don't even know if he can do what David Villa does. I don't, uh, uh, he is not a player who covers a lot of ground, Really, he's a he's a sharp uh, player who's good in small spaces around the penalty area. He's not good in big spaces. He's not like a, a ground covering machine. Um, and I think Guardiola doesn't actually have much use for him. Mm. And I think he's re- I think he's feeling that sort of. I'm sure between them, everything is absolutely polite. Everything is absolutely correct, and yet both sides know that they really would be better off without each other. You know. No, uh, that's that's too extreme a statement of it. But I kind of feel as though when Aguero looks into Guardiola's eyes, he doesn't feel coming back from him the kind of support that he feels he needs from the manager. And it's funny because I I think you made that point during the summer that you could see Aguero as one of the guys who he doesn't come to rely on. Mm. Uh, and I think that was more in part because of the fact that he misses quite a lot of games. Yeah, which I, I think I'm, I may have scoffed at at the time, Ken. But uh, you once again you are. Scooting me on all things, Pep. Well, I'm not. I'm not skinny. I'm, not, I'm lucky enough to follow uh, Raymond Verheyen on Twitter, oh, yeah. uh, and he's schooling Pep. It's it's his. Uh, this is the fitness coach, the Dutch fitness coach, the Dutch fitness trainer. He likes to make his. He likes to school work. managers uh, in public. It's kind of a public seminar that the whole world can watch. Free as well. He's good to give his advice like that, uh, and he does it always in such a nice way. Um, <laughs> for instance. Uh, there are some quotes that have emerged from the next Pep Guardiola uh, behind closed door, not behind closed doors, fly in the wall uh, book. Pep Evolution. We we had Pep Confidential. That was after his first season at Bayern. Pep Evolution is the story of the next two seasons and his evolution to the manager to being the manager of Manchester City. And it's a sky blue cover book. Uh, looks interesting. First one I, f- I found interesting, although uh, gushing and sort of uh, not. Uh, let's say this was more a more valuable read for the information that it had rather than for the critical analysis it it applied. Because you know, if you are invited within the inner sanctum and so on, and allowed access to all this, you, you know, you're not going to come out of it slinging a load of mud about what you might. You might, but and, and in, in which case everyone would be reading your book. But in this case, Marty Pernau has been—he's too good a guy to go down that route. You don't get the second book if you do that with the first book. You, cer- you certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have got the second. Maybe you sell enough of the first one on to make the second mm, one redundant. Yeah. Well, uh, Marty Pernau. Uh, uh, so Guardiola's quote in this book, which isn't out yet, it's out um, early in November. He says, uh, "I'll tell you one thing," Pep said about Man City. Uh, he said, I'll tell you what. No, he didn't say, I'll tell you what. He says, anyone who's not prepared to work his arse off will be out. And I'll put one of the youngsters in. We've got some talented kids in this youth team. So, <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing? Sorry, it's, you know, it's, 
Pep Confidential, Pep Evolution. Oh, yeah, that's the Pep sort of evolution. thing that a particularly bored uh, Pep Guardiola might say in a press conference. If you don't work your arse off, you're out. I've got some good players in the U team. Mm. Well, look, uh, that's, that's what's going to happen. Now, there's also uh, quotes here about, basically, why, why did Guardiola actually leave Bayern? And it seems, remember the, there was the whole incident with the doctor where he, he, he fired um, uh, Müller-Wolfart, the long-standing doctor at Bayern over disagreements over, oh, you can't get the players fit and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think he also felt it was a bit weird that the players all had to keep going off to your man's practice, yeah. wasn't it? Rather doctor than having everything here. on site. Yeah. Doctor should be at the training ground. Um, but basically, uh, that... Per now is saying, by the time Pep moved to Manchester, his attitude had changed. He was clear all decision makers at City had to be in agreement about certain key aspects of club life and insisted on taking charge of the future direction of the medical services immediately. Byron had taught him a hard but salutary lesson. In City, he will hear far less of the, but this is the way we've always done it. Which apparently was what they said at Byron all the time. But this is the way we've always done it, Pep. You, you seem to forget we played football before you got here. You know, that was the problem. That was the arrogance of Bayern Munich. And uh, that, won't, that won't happen at Manchester City where Pep is in control. And, of course, if Pep is totally in control, then that opens him up to further criticism from, um, from Dutch fitness uh, guru, <laughs> Remy Verheyen, who will blame all the muscle injuries on, on Guardiola. And there's no, there's, no one else, there's no one else clouding the picture. You know, we, we know who's in charge. And as Verheyen pointed out helpfully, uh, having seen this quote about you better work your arse off, Pep, my friend, maybe your players do work their arse off, but are struggling with fatigue because you exhaust them in training between games. Tactical teachers like Pep, tactical teachers, it's kind of his, his uh, lexicon. You know, you've got teacher managers and then you've got manager managers you know, kind of Harry Redknapp or types, you know, who kind of come in and like, oh, or you've got Guardiola types who want to teach you how to play the game. Teacher, tactical teachers like Pep are extremely intense in training. Consequently, players get even more tired while still recovering from last game. Uh, and pointed out that he'd, he'd brought Bayern Munich from one of the best injury records in Europe to one of the worst. And this is, you know, so it's, he's got all that to look forward to. Yeah. And a game against Manchester United on Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, they must both be so delighted at this opportunity to get things going again. I'm sure that'll feature heavily on Thursday's football podcast. Just to mention, now that, you, now that I think of it again, the Pep Guardiola of Irish rugby, Joe Schmidt. Oh, yeah. This is a piece of news that came in just a little bit too late to release in our first podcast today. So I thought I'd shoehorn it in here, here Murph, with that rather clunky... Um, no, no, we, we all bought it. Yeah, oh. switch. Uh, segway, segway, that's the word I'm looking for. Joe Schmidt has confirmed that he is going to coach Ireland for another two years, right through the 2019 World Cup. The contract is going to run out next year. Initially, that was seen as there was a possibility that might be it, but in more recent times, uh, the soundings have been that this was going to happen, that he's going to commit for a couple more years. So he thanks the IRFU uh, for their patience and confidence. The decision to continue took longer than he'd anticipated. Uh, it's difficult at times being so far away from extended family, but we appreciate how lucky we are to have the support we have here in Ireland. Talks about the strength of the rugby community being very visible over the past week. Uh, presumably that's in, in response to Anthony Foley, unfortunately, passing away. The wider community has made us welcome, and as a family, we have benefited immensely from their support. So he's, uh, yeah, he's speaking well as usual, and I think that's good news, even though people do have their misgivings about Joe Schmidt, and we've discussed at times his intransigence when it comes to... Uh, 
having his very own idea on how things should be done and not always necessarily um, you know, expanding out as, as much as people might think he should. But then he produces performances or he gets his team to produce performances against South Africa in the summer, which were exceptional, particularly the win with 14 men in the, wasn't it the opening test? Uh, if I can remember back that far now. So I think, look, Joe Schmidt has been a, a genius for Irish rugby. So I think it's pretty welcome that he's going to be here for a couple of more years after 2017 through to the next World Cup. Uh, we did talk about the amazing day at Tolman Park during that podcast, our first podcast today with Jerry Thornley and Liam Toland who were there to see this sort of farewell to Foley. And we also talked to Kieran Donaghy about his new book, The Brilliant Kerry Footballer. And he's put out a brilliant book and I think gave a very good interview as well. We really enjoyed having him in. We talked a lot of basketball in there, if that happens to be your bag. Donaghy's still playing in the Super League for Tralee Tigers. Right now, it's time to get into Dundalk who last night sealed a third league title in a row. They did it actually with a training ground move, which their manager admits doesn't work. And the goal scorer, Brian Gartland, admitted the opposition knew, had read like a book. They were like, <laughs> no, Massey was going to head back across goal, but they covered that. Uh, but he won the header anyway, and I just gambled, went to the far post, managed to head into the bottom corner. So when you're on a run, it's amazing the way things can go for you. And now the focus is all on the return game against Zenit and the cup final against Cork City. That's all on next week, as in next Thursday and the, the following Sunday. The body seems to be still holding up after a fairly long, fairly insanely tough season, largely thanks to Dundalk's fitness coach, Graham Byrne, who joins us in studio. Graham, thanks for coming in. Congratulations on last night, first of all. Thanks, Emilia. Three in a row, I'm sure, sounds, uh, sounds pretty good. How was the night afterwards? How were the celebrations? Yeah, they were great, uh, to be honest. The lads deserve a night out. I don't think Kenny have had a drink for about four or five months now. Yeah. So, well, or so they say. But, um, yeah, they've... I think some of them are still up at the moment and they'll be out. you might find them in Temple Bar this afternoon maybe. Well, I did see Stephen Kenny said after the game, days off are overrated. But uh, I think he was joking there. I'm sure he, he'd, he'd allow them this one. Yeah, absolutely. Blow, Look, blow they've out. worked their socks off. I mean, we started pre-season, I'd imagine, before anyone else started. I think we started on the first Saturday in January, which was the 5th or 6th. Mm. And um, it was actually the day there was the Soccer Riders Awards. Um, and a lot of our players were up for awards that night and they were all drinking water because we started pre-season the next morning. So they they missed that night out and they, since then they've been working their, their socks off. So they deserve a night out. Is that where the the basis of all this is, the fitness that's carrying them through this kind of crazy scheduling? Like, you know, how, like how much of it do you put down to what's done before the season actually starts? Um, yeah, you got it. Everything's based on a solid foundation. Um, and... The roots of that started four years ago um, when when we first started training the group, the core of the group, um, in terms of getting them to a certain level of fitness and, and, and strength, strength making their bodies more robust, obviously, um, and really trying to stop them getting injured. And it, that doesn't come to fruition straight away. It's a long-term plan. It's something you need to work on every day. And so it's not, it's not even one preseason. You're saying this goes back. To, this goes back a few years, really. What we're seeing. Yeah, now. absolutely. People talk about the fitness of, let's say, the Dublin senior football team. Mm. Like that's not just something that happened under Jim Gavin or that Pat Gilroy started. You know, that's something that happened with Pillar Caffrey's Dublin team. You know, that's something that happened 10, 15 years ago. And you don't just reap the rewards of it. And, and, and through the academies, I guess, they're yeah, getting exactly. fitter and fitter as they. Yeah, you look at Brian Cullen and the, and the show that they're running behind the scenes and yeah. stuff. And we want to do that. Try and replicate that. Now with Dundalk, you know, the aim is to get the kids doing strength and conditioning work from as early as possible and players as early as you can, you know. So even within our, our first team, the first thing was last year we signed Patrick McElhenney and he signed on a, a Tuesday night and on the Wednesday morning I was up in Dundalk and had him in the gym. It was literally within 12 hours of him signing his contract, Patrick McElhenney, he's in the gym with me and it's about nutrition and it's about exercise and it's about trying to get his body right for the pre-season. So 
you have a pre-pre-season where you try and prepare yourself and then you go into pre-season and, and so on. And as I say, it's been going back for four years now. Tell us a bit about yourself, then, Graham. I mean, if, you, if you've been working with this team for four years, they've, they keep winning the league, so the results have been quite good. But, I mean, what about your own background in it? Like, how did you sort of become, how did you reach this stage in your career? Well, for me, um, I suppose I'm a, a, like a lot of like a lot of fitness coaches out there. I'm a, like a failed footballer, so a guy who always wanted to to, to play for football professionally. Um, and when I didn't, I suppose the next best thing was trying to become a fitness coach. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was lucky enough that I got an opportunity to go into to DCU and work there from a young age and and see work with a lot of high performance athletes and see their commitment and see how well they train, how hard they train, and all the all the sports science facilities that they have on offer. Yeah. Um, so that was my journey and then obviously with Dundalk uh, was trying expose Dundalk to all those facilities you know try yeah. and get them getting the latest nutrition advice and, and their professionalism bringing it up to a certain level and I suppose that's that's happened with Dundalk what I wonder about is, is in this field because it's like it's how do you tell sort of the signal from the noise you know what I mean like there's, there's, there's like there's so many people expressing opinions like say, say for instance, you were saying, "What's the latest uh, in nutrition?" I remember talking to Damien Duff, uh, like last year, about when he was at Blackburn in the late nineties, and the reason why Robbie Keane's career got going a bit quicker than his. And it turned out the reason was that all the nutritionists at Blackburn were telling him to eat pasta as much as he could get on board, yeah. and he was walking around like a stone overweight yeah, and yeah. wondering what was, why do I feel so terrible all the time? But he was just following the sort of advice at the time. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're working in the field, how do you know? How, how can you tell what's what's real from what's just bullshit? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You got to be you got to be studying. Like I've just finished my master's in UCD, and you got to be like constantly reading and, and upgrading and trying to upskill yourself and give the right information. Pasta, when I was told, at 17 I was told, Graham, to make it, you got to bulk up, so I'd go home and eat loads of pasta. Yeah. And, like, that's definitely not what I should have been eating. Like, you know, <laughs> so, for me, when we started with Dundalk, um, you're going into dressing room and saying, okay, guys, like, we did nutrition lectures and stuff. Like, our first pre-season at Dundalk, so like, okay, we're going into the classroom and doing a nutrition lecture for an hour. Like, and players want that information. Their best tool that they have is their body. They need it to be in the best condition possible to perform. And at Dundalk, the lads just love it. They just want to know more and more and more. And they're fascinated and they're so eager, eager to learn. So for me, I was just, everyone's got an opinion. I'm not saying that what I'd say is, is gospel. I have my opinion as a strength coach or as a nutritionist or whatever it might be in terms of what, how they should be eating and how they should be you know, training. That's... But the aim is trying to get that message across players and then trying to get the players to buy into it. Is um, a bit of pasta okay? Even well, if it's brown? You eat a lot of pasta. Is there a difference between brown and white pasta while we're on nutrition? I know yeah, this. yeah. So, so basically <laughs> what they'll I need do to know this. This isn't a personal yeah. session. No, but yeah, I, might, yeah, so. I, I might try and run a marathon next year. <laughs> no, so they'll try and sell you the idea of brown pasta is better than white pasta because it's slightly uh, lower GI, which means yes, it's digested yeah. slightly slow, slower. Yeah. So, But at the end of the day, I, I don't eat pasta. I don't think... Like, we've never had pasta as a team. In okay. four years, so uh, again, that's that's different. For, that's, that's sometimes difficult for players, for a fitness coach to come in. Like who am I to come in and say, okay, guys, you've been eating pasta for twenty five years. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're Stevie O'Donnell. You've won everything in the game. You're the captain of this team. Uh, no pasta now. And he's like, well, well, I've been eating pasta for twenty five years. You know, and I've played for Arsenal and whatever else. So, like, it was a little bit left field for me to come in and say, right, no more bread, no more pasta. And they're like, what? But. But what do we eat then? Yeah, but what do we eat then? So like we would maybe pr- replace pasta. It's not that left field, but we maybe replace pasta with rice and maybe replace bread, you know, 
I don't know, rice cakes. With green no, leaves. No, no, but, no, <laughs> yeah, rice you know, yeah, rice cakes. Cakes. no, but we, you know, we, there is replacements there. But it sounds like that they were receptive to it. Was it, was it helped by the fact that Dundalk were at such a low base? Like we know about the issues that, that had been going on off the field and essentially the whole club is being rebuilt. So maybe people were receptive to you and I suppose the ones who weren't receptive to the new ideas weren't going to be long for the Yeah, club. like to be honest, that's where it's all down to, Stephen. That's mm. why he is the best manager in the country. Like it's, you know, he, he, he recruited players who wanted to learn and wanted to get better and wanted to improve and, and that's and the same thing in terms of staff he recruited people that are ambitious and staff that wanted to go and prove themselves as well and I think the players have been unbelievable because in week one or two the players could have said who's this guy telling us what to eat for instance yeah. um, but they didn't they just wanted to learn they kept asking questions should I eat this here should I eat that there should I take this shake should I take that shake well, I'm doing this in the gym is this wrong and they just wanted to learn there's so, there's so many footballers out there in the country and this is like where people might get me wrong like I'm really passionate about it I don't mean to be arrogant sometimes but it's just passionate because there's so many footballers that they want to improve they want they want the knowledge they want people to help them out they want to be educated on how to train how to get quicker how to get faster how to lose some body fat and I like my issue was that not a lot of clubs are providing that and so we just tried to provide it for them and the players are unbelievable like they literally if you told them to do have 10 chicken breasts for breakfast they would if you told them to do 300 sit-ups before breakfast they would like they're just that hungry and they're that eager to achieve things and to improve that yeah they're, they're just they're incredible bunch of workers to be honest I think that's kind of interesting like uh, the, the fact that you know they are so receptive I mean I don't think that's always necessarily been the way with footballers and and fitness staff who are saying you can't eat this, you can't eat this, you should eat this, you know, this is all the work you've got to do. And it's actually quite a lot of work if you want to be really fit. Like, it's a it's a whole lifestyle. Yeah. I can imagine that in, you know, past generations of footballers have been very resistant to that. Say, no, no, you know, I'm, I'm you know, you tell me I can't drink, you tell me I can't eat this. Um, but it seems like a, that's a big change generally, not just in, in football or Irish football, but across society over the last 10 years. Like yeah, how much yeah, more kind of health conscious people are. Absolutely. Like you see, protein is everywhere. Jesus, yeah. people eating protein. Oh, it's, it's now insane. Like, I mean, never, there's people walking around. Squat. Like, um, you know, <laughs> you know these, 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 I see people walking on the street in Fairview who would in the 1950s have been in, you know, Mr. Universe. Yeah. This is like this is now the, the average joke. What what is yeah. what is going on? Why are the why are these why is this happening? Well, I think I think the growth of social media is massive. Yeah. People are now there's Take cameras the everywhere. Of themselves yeah. in See, the mirror. That's you look at you look at ten years ago. Like I might have had a digital camera. But I didn't have a camera on my phone. I didn't see pictures of myself. I saw myself. You know, you see yourself in the mirror once, twice a day. But other than that, whereas nowadays it's you're, people are constantly taking pictures of themselves and yeah. looking at pictures of other people. And society is obsessed at looking good now. And I don't know whether it's through certain TV shows where people think that bigger looking bigger is 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 better. You know, yeah. and for for guys in particular, and same with girls. So culture's changed, society's changed, um, and we got to differentiate what football is like. Our, 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 we're not about looking huge you know uh, my biggest problem at this stage of the season is trying to tell the lads not to go to the gym believe it or not right. the, sometimes you create a monster where guys are, guys love the gym and it's part of their weekly routine and I think we've I don't even know the amount, we've played every three days for the last six weeks seven weeks since we played Leggett away like it's been incredible but our guys want to go to the gym they feel better when they go to the gym but they can't go and sometimes it, 
it's it's eating away at them, you know. Yeah, which is probably what you want to hear from them. They're, they're yeah. complaining about not being yeah. allowed to go into the gym, but just yeah. uh, just on that, Graham, I'm very interested in that because you know, it's it's whatever about making guys bigger and you know people can get bigger by themselves, really, without without the help of strength and conditioning coaches. But what you're talking about is a lot more of a, a specialist subject. Getting footballers, getting a group of of people fit for a particular activity at a high level and doing it with this unbelievable physical stress that they've had over the last few weeks. You know, everyone's talked about this fixture list and these trips. You know, you've got this other one. At least the league is wrapped up now. So the last couple of league games, you can, I'm sure you won't say it, but you can maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit. You've still got this uh, double header over in St. Petersburg and then uh, back at home in the cup final within, it's Thursday to Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you're fl- flying out on Thursday and Sunday. How, how do you manage bodies for a task like that? Well, there's a number of things. Um, Obviously, the professional, the professionalism of the players. So, what do they eat when they're when they're not with us? What do they? What decisions do they make when they get home? Are they taking the right supplements? Are they getting enough sleep? Um, how are they looking after body? Because sickness is obviously, you know, a big concern. We haven't missed anyone. Like Sean Gannon missed last night. He had a bit of a cold, but other than that, we we haven't uh, had people getting sick, and that's massive. So that just reflects on how they're living their life. Um, and then you've got the the backroom staff we have. Like I think I'm lucky enough that when we go on these European trips. I, I share a room with uh, Sam Rice, our physio, and I'm telling you, this guy is be doing rubs from morning to night. It's <laughs> like a, it's like ten hours of massage and prep on the players. It's yeah. incredible. Like the, with the work that's being done behind the scenes by you know by the staff, and then obviously the players just doing their business right, getting up and doing proper recovery sessions, doing their foam rolling, doing their ice baths, and um, and really just giving it giving your body the attention it deserves and giving enough respect to your body to say okay if I don't recover right I'm not going to perform right and they need to identify that Have you noticed them tiring? This was said after the game against St. Petersburg that maybe in the second half it looked like they started to they, they started to tie up a little bit I don't know if that is the case obviously you're playing that, that team is level above anything else that it's, what, it's what people are going to say when you're learning two yeah levels. it's probably an obvious yeah. enough thing, thing but uh, have you noticed any drop off based on the numbers and the rest of it that you look, um, look well, at well I would I would I would judge it based on um, like we use GPS data and at this season we're not but like when we use GPS data you'll see it there it's black and white um, but then you're looking at injuries is a massive reflection of how fit they are for me if their bodies aren't able to keep performing against Zenit I think they would have broken down we would have had hamstrings groins whatever it might have been because that's for me the first place where you'll see it um, the other thing is obviously your concentration level so I will always say to guys like my advice would be get as fit as you can because it will affect your decision making you might get a chance in the last 5 or 10 minutes and if you're tired you'll swing a leg at it and might go over the bar whereas if you're fit and you're still full of energy your concentration levels improve like as you get more tired your peripheral vision starts to shrink and close in so there's loads of factors that will affect you obviously with fatigue but have I seen it? Not re, not really. Nothing visibly. I can. I know. That, I know that there's achy bodies there. I know that. I I talk to the guys every day. I was going to ask. Are they telling you that? Are they? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or maybe from their point of view, they all want to be in the team. So they uh, won't yeah, be talking too much about how tired they are. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to be in the team. Everyone wants to play, and you're winning trophies, and <clears throat> you're getting success, and and it's such a good team to play for like it's such a great like amongst the guys everyone wants to play they're so hungry to play but I think my leg might be broken but no but I should I'll be play. I'll yeah, just play this last one against Zenit and then the cup final yeah who wants to miss Zenit St. Petersburg who wants to come off tired like you know it's I, like, look they're as fit as they could possibly be you know, they, they really are and the work they're doing off the pitch in terms of how they're looking after themselves is, is fantastic. You seem to be managing to do this at Dundalk without amazing resources. And this is what's interesting because it's constantly, this is the constant argument and it always will be in the League of Ireland that the, the resources aren't there. But you're making it work. 
how are you managing to do that without without you know mega books going in, wealthy benefactors, all the stuff that other leagues benefit from? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, somebody said to us last night we were sitting in the in the kit room as a staff, like five minutes after the final whistle, and we just weren't speaking. It was myself, Steve Williams, our goalkeeping coach, Vinnie Perth, the assistant manager, and a couple of others, and <clears throat> we were talking and we were saying, we're just how do you feel? Exhausted. You know, exhausted because like with Vinnie Perth, he's our system manager and he's doing all the video analysis and everything behind the scenes and um like and he's got to work full time job and he's got a young family and he's gotta to come to the dock six days a week and the same with Steve Williams, our goalkeeping coach, you know, full time job. Mm. Pretty much full time training with the dock, families to look after and so on. And even down our coaching staff with, with like Jerry Spain and even our Kitman Noel and, and our physios, like, you know, people are working incredibly hard. That's what the biggest issue, like for the players they've been amazing and the staff have as well. People don't see the staff and they're 45 hours a week in work, you know? Mm-hmm. They just turn up on a training ground and you need to have everything prepped. So there's a lot of work done on the phone, planning sessions, planning recovery sessions. Like I speak to Stephen usually twice a day. Imagine Vinny speaks to Stephen 10 times a day. It's it's a lot of hours on the phone. It's a lot of planning. It's a lot of prep. Um, at the moment, that's what really that's what I really struggle with um, in terms of resources. That's where we're all really stretched Um but yeah. it can be done. Yeah, it can be done. It can be done. Like, you know, it's not ideal. Well, uh, well say, for instance, I mean, every, everybody knows that Dundalk are stupendously wealthy now as a result of all this money yeah. that they've won from all that. There's an enormous oh, amount of money flooding into, yeah. into the Irish games through Dundalk's bank account. And everyone wants a piece of it. So say, for instance, Dundalk would turn around to you and say, your work has been so good here that we're going to invest all of this money in our fitness and strength and conditioning department. What, where would you spend? Where would you spend the money? Well, number one, I'd guess better better facilities anyway. So what? Like, so what kinds of things are you talk? Like, would you buy like a cryotherapy unit no, or no, this not kind of stuff? Not necessarily, but I'm just saying. Like, I think we. I would set up an academy. I think about something long term for Dundalk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the real plan. Um, is to have something long term so the players from a really young age can start doing strength and conditioning work. That they have the facilities on their doorstep. And the culture is not just in the first team, it's right down through the club. As I was mentioning, the example of Dublin earlier, you have you know, an under-19s fitness regime and, and under-17s and right down through the kids. And you really get it going in the whole club. And that's going to give long-term success for me. Um, I think that's the real aim. That would be what I, where I would invest it. Because the first team football, footballers, they're doing their bit. You know, they're almost as fit as they can be. You know, yeah. If we'd full-time, we'd invest more in... Um, you know, I don't know what else you could do really with the first team. It just obviously would work a lot better if you're full time. We wouldn't be so stretched. But um, the long term future for Dundalk should be, in my opinion, um, investing in in an academy and the facilities to house an academy, and then educating the academy in terms of the importance of of strength and conditioning. Right. In the short term, Graham, there's yeah. uh, well, there are a few bodies to round up around table. Oh, I'm not sure. I think past as Elise, your worries today yeah, uh, from, yeah, from, yeah, from, yeah, from the yeah. boys. But just the next. Uh, <laughs> The next couple of weeks, yeah, and there's the cup final as well as the game against Senate that we mentioned. What, what's amazing to me as well as physically is how psychologically they keep Dundalk keep managing to get to the right pitch. You know, they did it again yesterday. Maybe not the greatest performance of the season, but they, they keep doing enough to win. Are you confident about the next couple of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as Stephen always says to the guys, every time he asks them or there's a challenge laid in front of them, they've responded. Mm. You know, they've... They love the big occasion, the guys. You know, they will love. They will love the next couple of weeks. They will love the challenge of going to to Russia and playing late on a Thursday night. Um, 
in minus 20 degrees or whatever it's going to be that night and then having to come back and prepare for for the, the cup final on the Sunday you know the players will relish that challenge I, th- I think they they're, they're buzzing off. they're buzzing with the challenge I don't know if we are as a coach and staff now but they, they certainly are and I think that's the plan the plan is obviously to do our business right in the next uh, the next week Yeah. Um, maybe get a weekend off um, for the first time in this weekend coming perhaps yeah maybe get two days off consecutively for the first time I think in four months and then let the lads enjoy that and get heads back on a Monday and get focused for the, the big week ahead you know that's the plan and then try and keep it up and maintain the fitness levels and recover for the last two European games is obviously very important because yeah. the season runs right on until the, the 8th of December so yeah well you're doing great things there and the club is going great Graham listen thanks a million cheers for coming in thanks guys really appreciate it Right, so great fitness levels, application, attitude, everything. Seems like Dundalk are doing everything right on and off the field at the moment. But Murph, what of the biggest question when it comes to running a top-level sports organisation, I hear you ask? Yeah, it's the mascot. <laughs> this is our friend Aaron showing you a picture. You might describe what you're looking at there. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, a panda. Panda, yeah, with, panda head. but with gigantic sun. I mean, obviously That's a big panda. Eyes. Yeah. Um, oh, big sunken eyes, you mean? In yeah, I mean, it looks like a panda that hasn't slept for like three months. It's a bit of, I don't know if the panda goes to Graham for sessions at all. Like tries to get yeah. get in the right physical shape. No, it, Lily, pan, Lily the panda. It says here on the, inter- do, on the internet. Yeah, it doesn't look doesn't look healthy. <laughs> You're concerned. I'd, I'd go. I'd go to. I'd, I'd go talk to Graham, or perhaps more pertinently, a vet. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah no. I, I mean, I don't know how much a strength and conditioning man can do for a panda in that condition. To be honest, it looks it looks near death. Dermot Cargan is ready to explain the mystery, Dermot of. Well, you can tell us, why did Ronaldo appeal for offside against his own teammate last night? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a mystery, all right. There was a lot of a lot of debate kicked off on Twitter last night uh, about what had happened. Uh, there was a theory going around amongst some of the more, I don't know, vociferous Madrid fans that that's what he does all the time, that that's his way of, 
of celebrating goals is to put his hand up and look towards the linesman <laughs> that they've gone back and like look closely uh, at photos of Champions League final goals and stuff. I, I don't know. I guess it's hard to know what's going through Ronaldo's head at the moment. He's gone through a really frustrating time in front of the goal. He's only got two goals in La Liga so far this season. He had 11 shots at goal last night against Athletic Bilbao, whose defence was was really patched up. They were missing three of their, their normal key defenders. Um, he had a, a lot of chances to score, and he got two of those 11 shots on target and never really looked like he's scoring, and he just looks like he's, he's really going through a bad spell mentally uh, at the moment, as well as not being 100% physically good after his injury during the summer. Uh, why is he not scoring? I mean, this is, a, this is uh, I think, the first time he's ever gone four matches at the Bernabeu without a goal. Um, so there is something going on here. But I saw him playing the Champions League the other week, and I thought he looked really strong and sharp. I can't figure out why uh, the goal scoring in particular would have dropped off a cliff. It looks like it's something to do with his... It's, it's a mental block that he's got at the moment. It's a weird one because he does... You know, it was normal that it would take him a while to come back after the, the knee injury he had in the Euros and that he would he would take a while to get up and running this season. Then he scored a couple of goals in Madrid, scored that great free kick against Sporting Lisbon in the Champions League, went away with Portugal and, and hammered in a load of goals in their games against Andorra and the Faroe Islands. So it seemed he was back. But at the Bernabeu especially, he just seems to have a bit of a block. You know, he's had a weird relationship with the fans at the Bernabeu. Even though he's the club's leading goal scorer, he's got them. You know, he's won two Champions Leagues recently with them. The fans just getting his back very quickly. You know, he was whistled again last night when he didn't pass the ball to, to Cruz. He could have given Cruz a tap and he went himself and, and hit it straight at the keeper. There was another chance in the first half when he really should have he should have crossed it, but he went from a, from a narrow angle and again the keeper saved it. And it just looks like it's playing on his mind. And, you know, it is a weird one because, you know, he's so experienced and he's done so, done so much for the club. But it happens to, to everybody, I guess, and it's happened to him at the moment. That is staggering that he gets whistled by the fans. I mean, it's not like a two-year drought he's going through. It's just a few weeks here. Did, 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 did that happen with the other you know, other people who've contributed so much, uh, the likes of Raul Zidane, these kind of players? Did they ever go through periods where they're getting whistled by the fans, do you know? Uh, Raul, I don't think so. Zidane got whistled a bit at the start when he arrived first. Um, uh, he didn't have a great first couple of months playing for, for Madrid. Even this is the season that he ended up scoring that, that amazing winning goal in the Champions League final in 2002. But, he, you know, in November, October time, he was he was getting the, the board from the Bernabeu as well. Everybody, it's a bit of a rite of passage that even, you know, they ask the players about it and they go, oh, well, the Madrid have the most demanding fans in the world. Their standards are so high. Um, you know, it's the greatest club in the world we understand it I'd say it really gets on Ronaldo's whip so it, it, you know he's he puts his hand up and he, he kind of gestures to the fans to go get off my back you know what are you, what are you doing you know he thinks that he's never really got the, the recognition he deserves from, from the fans you know something that Mourinho complained about it as well or from the pundits in, in Spain something that Mourinho complained about it as well you know when Ronaldo does come to the, the mix zone to talk to the journalists he's usually very defensive he's like he comes often when he has something that he wants to say to get off his chest and has a, a right go at the guys who, who he knows, the, street, the, the Spanish guys who cover the, the club day-to-day. There's a feeling they, they favour the, the Spanish guys, like the Ramos and, and Isco, and especially Ramos, who gets a, a great press in Real before. Ronaldo never really, hasn't really got that for, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I find it weird. For instance, if Ronaldo was playing for Manchester United, this would never happen. I mean, Ronaldo... It seems to me is almost more popular with fans of Manchester United, who he hasn't played for since 2009, than Real Madrid, and he scored what nearly 400 goals for them. I think it's insane. But I mean, you, you mentioned that Sergio Ramos gets a great press, and I mean, I've seen Ramos, you know, after the Champions League final uh, and his kind of bullying 
personality, and you can kind of see how people might warm to him. You know, he's a good character. He's a good lad. Uh, are you? Are you then sort of implying that if Ronaldo doesn't get such a good press, that it might be his fault for not being such a great lad? Well, he, Ronaldo, he's his own, he's his own type of personality. I guess he's cocooned in in his own world. You know, his Instagram photos recently there was the photo of him standing outside his house with his, his new car. He's copying, he's copying Conor McGregor really clearly, Dermot. I mean, it's it's he, he's friends with Conor McGregor now. They are Instagram buddies. They they were hanging at at some party together, and now he is literally posing in front of his car in the same way as Conor McGregor. It's so obvious. Yeah, doesn't go down well with with, with a lot of the people around Madrid. You know, the, the idea that Madrid are this kind of the senorial club that they have this gentleman ethos, which is you know you could argue that a lot of that is is just built up. It, it created it as well, but. He doesn't fit. He's the, the the poor kid from from Portugal who who got rich and became a, a global superstar. But he's never really been taken to the hearts of of a lot of Madrid fans. There are a lot of Madrid fans, especially the people online who were defending him last night, who who also love him. You know, maybe not so much the people who go to the stadium. Maybe more people who who blog about it or, or tweet about it or who watch the games from from outside Spain on the internet. They, they seem to love him more than the people who actually go day-to-day to the games. I don't know, maybe the Real fans would prefer the more humble charms of Leo Messi, although, Dermot, although, wasn't so, uh, he wasn't so Leo Messi-ish over the weekend. He was really getting into it with Valencia fans at the end of the game. What was happening there? Yeah, that was a, it was a great game at, at Mastay on, on Saturday. The Ass had a Hitchcock at Mastay. It was their, their headline on the match report on, on Sunday morning, which, which was pretty good. Super game. Valencia went out to to make it difficult for, for Barcelona with a lot of um, a lot of aggressive physical challenges during the first half. A couple of players might have got sent off, then Iniesta got injured in a challenge that wasn't the worst of them, actually. It was a bit maybe unfortunate, that challenge. But before that, the Messi and Neymar especially were getting the were getting kicked by the, the Valencia players. Barcelona players didn't enjoy that. Uh, of course, the Messea crowd are, are another one who get really into the games. So the atmosphere was really hot and, and heated. Barca came back and won the game in the last minute and really enjoyed, you know, sticking it to them. Messi really, you know, was very cool about taking the penalty, scoring the penalty in the in the in injury time against Diego Alves, who's the, the penalty saving specialist. You know, he's missed a few penalties before, and then him and Messi or him and Neymar, yeah, were really getting into it. Then the bottle comes out of the, the stand, hits hits them in the head of the group of the celebrating players, and it, it really all it really all kicked off. All right, well, listen, we'll leave it there, Dermot. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. What exactly happened, Ken, when it all kicked off with Messi? Uh, well, goal by Messi, penalty kick. Uh, Barcelona players all run to celebrate, just sort of to the right of the goal. And Valencia fans not impressed with this, uh, and start throwing a few things, including a plastic bottle which falls and sort of plops down at the middle of the celebrating Barcelona players. And Neymar goes down, and he seemed to be the one that hit. Suarez also went down. He he didn't get hit by it, but you know, instinct takes over in these situations. Uh, Messi. Uh, upon seeing um, the, the the havoc that had been wreaked by these um, Valencia fans and their hooligan behaviour, turned around and challenged the crowd uh, with some posturing gestures and some um, salty South American phrases. Most unparliamentary language, Ken. Yes, uh, and he told them what he thought of them, and he and he it was it was funny. It was just. F- Funny because see. it was messy. You know, messy. If it was Suarez, maybe we go, oh, Suarez is off on one again. Suarez is always doing this kind of thing. So to see Messi doing a bit of this, I wonder uh, what influences have come into his life in the last couple of years to make him 
change his character and sort of start to behave like that. Who who knows what those influences could be? Honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I was talking about he Luis Suarez. Been oh, you were? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. At the exact moment. You were talking about the man himself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a bit of bronca. Nothing wrong with a bit of bronca, Owen. You, you know? wanted to mention the most interesting man on Twitter at the moment? In late 2016, Gary Lineker? Well, I just noticed that Gary Lineker had been uh, tweeted by uh, John Beatty um, at the BBC about this article that was on the BBC website, Heading Football's Effects Memory. Um, I'll, I'll mention what's in there, but Lineker's response was <clears throat> very interesting, but not at all surprising. And then he added, I never headed the ball in training, always felt that it may be damaging, which is interesting. Um, the fact that, well, it's, I mean, I suppose you could see how someone might decide, well, I'm not sure. Maybe that's why Robert Pierre has never bothered. You know, just, well, is it really, I don't know. I'm not sure. It might, it might hurt me. Let's just avoid that. <clears throat> Lineker, unlike Pierce, was actually quite good at heading the ball when he had to in games, um, but uh, apparently didn't apparently avoided it in training altogether. That is interesting. Going back that far, yeah. But the this, the study that was being linked to was uh, or an article was a study of potentially harmful effects of heading the ball. Yeah, but it, there, what it's interesting because it says um, basically says uh, heading a football can significantly affect a player's brain function and memory for twenty four hours. A study has found. Researchers said they'd identified small but significant changes in brain function after players headed the ball 20 times. 20 times is not a lot. No. Uh, memory performance was reduced by between 41 and 67% following the routine heading practice, with the effects wearing off after 24 hours. Um, okay, that's, that's a curious one. 20 times in how long, though? Do you know? Is it just like, is it 20 times consecutively? Um, Researchers fired footballs from a machine designed to simulate the pace yeah. and power of a quarter kick and asked a group of footballers, uh, football players to head a ball 20 times. So I guess probably 20 times in a row, more or less. Uh, you know, 20 simulated corners, yeah. 20. And uh, so, so basically the researchers were saying this is only a short-term effect. However, it does it is sort of suggestive at the, at the very least. Um, and there is obviously kind of increased concern about that. I mean, it's the same... Obviously, in, in in contact sports, to a greater degree, but in football, this is, you know, sometimes though this is going to go away no, for football. And this is a game that that like loads of children play in the United States. They've already banned headings. I was just for, about to mention that, yeah. For so kids up to whatever age it is, yeah. To be fair, Make given well, given what given sort of what you hear about the way in which children's brains are more vulnerable to mm. injury. Um, than an adult brain, it may be time to kind of look at that on a, on a bigger level. I mean, is it really worth it? Like, I mean, kids, kids are rubbish at heading the ball anyway. I mean, when did you ever see a good header in a in a in a kids game? Almost never. You could tell. Okay, you could tell the guys who who maybe had a chance of making it by the fact they could head the ball. <laughs> yeah, well, right? they're usually bigger for a start. Yeah, but but I mean, if you took the aerial dimension out of out of under 11s football, would it really would it drastically affect the game? No, I in a negative way. No, I don't. Is it worth it? So. I think it's probably worth it. Yep, sounds good. Listen, Second Captain Sports Annual Volume Two is out. It's available to well, it's, I should say it's available to pre-order now. Uh, we'll get the hard copies into your hands just as soon as possible. But you can pre-order it. Get online. We only have a limited edition of these. This is the only print run we're doing, which means when they're gone, they are gone. So get on secondcaptains.com. You can read Ken's big interview with Richard Dunn and your Euro 2016 diary, and lots, lots more in there. Secondcaptains.com is the place to go. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks, Owen.
Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, uh, Kieran. For listening, and do have a listen to Kieran Donahue in our first podcast today. He was in. Uh, he was in good form. He's expansive, open, and a very interesting guy. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. <laughs>